good news and the hope that we cling to this morning and every day of our life that Christ has risen from the grave and so uh, we have an eternity secured with him and so we have nothing to fear in this life. Uh, Think of the Apostle Paul and how he said, come what may, and he knew that uh, his eternity was secured and his future was set and so I hope the same is true for you as well. Hallelujah, Christ has risen from the grave. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these words, how sweet they are, Lord, that all throughout eternity our our song will be the same, that that as we enter into eternity one day, and Lord, as we just think about like why we should be there, and Lord, as we look to the one who shed his blood so that we might live, and we say it's because of him, and it's because of what he did, and it's because of what he accomplished, and it's because of the life that he's given. That's my ticket in. Lord, it's, it's nothing of my own doing. It's, it's nothing of my own inherent good. It's, it's all because of the goodness of who your son, Jesus Christ, is. And so we cling to that this morning. I pray that that would be the hope that secures us when life gets difficult. Lord, would you speak to us as we open your word this morning? Lord, teach us, and Lord, conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we pray all these things in your son, Jesus' holy and in his precious name, amen. Well, you can have a seat. Thanks for being here. Thanks worship team for great worship uh, this morning. Um, If you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've been in the book of James. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to James chapter four. It's where we'll be this morning. And I would encourage you to bring a Bible. I know we put it up on the screen every week, but I would encourage you to bring a physical copy of the Word of God. It just helps you, I think, to be able to see and kind of cross-reference and read it for yourself. And as we read verses up here, you'll have the full context of the chapter in front of you. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to James chapter 4. But we've been in this series. It's called, Is My Faith Working? And really what we've been after is maturity in Christ Jesus. We talked a little bit about that last week. And so week one, in James chapter one, we talked about maturity through the trials and tribulations that life brings. Week two, we talked about maturity through uh, our motivation, how are we motivated in Christ. And then last week, we talked about our maturity in speech. And do we say words that are helpful and consistent with the character and the nature of who God is? And so this week in James chapter four, what James is going to do is he's going to shed light on how we mature through humility. We mature through humility, and this is a, uh, an issue for us in our society, I think. Um, and if you look at verse 6 of chapter 4, he really speaks to this when he says, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, and he's quoting, James is quoting from the Old Testament here, this is a proverb, and James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so... Uh, uh, we usually, the way you, and if you follow along, the way you'll, you'll typically see us on a Sunday morning kind of present the text as in presenting it and then um, presenting the gospel. It, I think this is a great place to just talk about the gospel for a moment because uh, humility uh, flies in the face of what the world says about the system that's set up by the world. You think of uh, the wisdom of the world as James chapter 3 talked about, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's a wisdom, there's a way of thinking that the world says is true and it's opposite of the way that God says is true. And, and the world would say you have to be better and do better and do more and earn more and strive to be all that you can be. And, and God says, come to me. 
and find rest in me and, and lay your burdens at my feet. And so I think no, there's no better place to start this morning than just with the gospel because the gospel this morning will require humility on your behalf. And I think that's one of the issues that keeps people from believing in Jesus Christ is just the inherent level of pride that we have as human beings. Because what the gospel says is it's all for nothing. It's nothing that you can do to earn it. You don't deserve it. That this man, Jesus Christ, who had the right to be prideful, laid it all down for our sake. And Philippians 2 talks about him emptying himself, him humbling himself, even to the point of death on a cross. Death on a cross for you. Death on a cross for me. And so this morning, as we think about the words of James and how James 4 is really going to unpack for us what humility looks like, I think it's vital for us to understand and recognize our need for him this morning, that the gospel is available to anyone who may be far from Christ, who may be thinking about who Jesus is, but I'm not sure what he did or what he accomplished or how much I can actually believe in it. Maybe you're online this morning and you've never accepted or trusted in Jesus Christ, and it will take an act of humility, laying aside your own self-pride, your own self-sufficiency, and laying that down and saying, Lord, I'm in need of a Savior. And so this morning, if you don't know him, that would be my encouragement to you, is come find him. But the way to find him is through humbling yourself. The Proverbs go on to say that pride is an abomination to the Lord. And so again, I think inherently we have a level of pride within us. And James is going to address that. But up front, I think it's vital that in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for you, not what you can do for him, but what he's done for you, it will take a level of humility. And I think that's what keeps people from not only accepting Christ, but growing in Christ as well, individually, will be an inherent level of pride. And so you have these two wisdoms that are at play. Again, if you, if you have your Bible and you look back at James chapter 3, this is in verse 14, James says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, see it, prideful nature in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. He says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. He says it's demonic. Isn't this the demise of Satan? That Satan's demise was his prideful nature. And so again, if we're not careful, it's, it's in, inherently within all of us as well. And so James is going to contrast these two wisdom, but the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable it's gentle, it's willing to yield. You see it, willing to yield. It's humble. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so you have these two wisdoms, these two ways of thinking that are, that are at play in the book of James and at odds with one another. And so it just, it's going to highlight itself this morning in chapter four through what James is going to address as pride and the answer to it being humility. Because he starts chapter four by saying, where does, where does pride get us? Well, he says in verse one, wars and fights, where do they come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? It's not only the cause individually of strife internally, but also collectively amongst us as believers. And, and this is true in the world too, really think about it. I think I read a statistic that the, uh, of like the eight most common causes of global war, there's like six of them that are very just prideful in nature. There's um, economic advancement, there's territorial advancement, there's revenge, and I'm sure you can think of others. The reason why wars and strife exist 
And more often than not, if not all the time, it's rooted in a level of pride and self-seeking within some individual. And so we see it not only in our nation, but we also see it within the church. It was, it was Tom Rainer, uh, I read a statistic this week. He said, most church splits occur due to, quote-unquote, power groups or, quote-unquote, country club churches. Their way of thinking is, I pay my dues, so I should get my way. I, I, I pay my dues, and so I should get my way. And so then when I don't get my way, then I'm leaving. And you see how rooted that is in pride, in selfishness, in selfish ambition. I, I am raising children, and my two-year-old, one of the hardest things right now, right, as a two-year-old, and those of you who have been there and done that know this to be true, one of the hardest things to break her of is the word mine. Is it not if you've had toddlers, you know that there's just a, you don't have to teach them not to share, because within them is this selfish, this prideful nature that everything is mine. It It doesn't, and you know this to be true, it doesn't matter what toy it is. It doesn't matter if there's 50 others in the room. And one other child walks in and takes a toy that they think belongs to them, and then that word instinctively comes out. That's mine. And so I think we say the same thing. Well, we may not label it as mine, but we have the same thought, do we not? This is mine. I'm owed this. I deserve this. And so where it leads us is it leads us to strife. It leads us to war and conflict with one another. It's a lack of humility. It's a lack of of authenticity, it's selfishness. And so I, I think not only individually, but I also think collectively, your, your ability to accept Jesus Christ as Lord, if you don't know him this morning, will begin with a level of humility. Your ability to mature in Christ and, and advance in this Christian life is going to take a level of humility. And for us to grow and advance as a local church, it will collectively take humility. Because when pride creeps in, division is oftentimes the result. And so here's, here's what I want to do in chapter four. I think, I think there's two ways that we can grow in humility that James is going to highlight for us this morning. And I want us to see it in the text. And those two ways, are, I think it's vital for us, and I titled the message this morning, get out of his way and get into his will. To get out of his way and to get into his will. That, that you'll see that what James is going to do is he's going to give the solution for pride about midway through chapter four, but he really expresses why a solution is needed early on in chapter four and why it's important for you to recognize your selfish tendencies so that you can then adopt the solution and say, I want to get out of the way of whatever it is the Lord wants to do. Now, he wants to use us, and so I wanna align myself with his will and be used by the Father for the advancement of his kingdom, but oftentimes, that's not the way we work. Why? Because again, we have a selfish motivation, a selfish nature. And so it's not about what he wants, it's about what we want. And so that's what I hope we leave here this morning with. How do we get out of his way? How do we get into his will? Let's, let's read the first part of chapter four together. Again, this is in verse one. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And so, uh, again, I want us to get out of his way this morning and get into his will. Get out of his way. I think the first section of chapter 4 alludes to this and speaks to this. And and we naturally have selfish tendencies in two particular areas that James is going to highlight. We're we're naturally, naturally selfish in the way we act and we're naturally selfish in the way we pray. Okay, we're, we're naturally selfish in the way we act. He says, again, where do wars and fights come from you? They come from your desires that war in your members. You lust and you do not have. And we have these desires, these desires that are fleshly in our nature. Desires for economic gain, desires for relational status, desires for recreational well-being, you, you name it. right? We all have desires within us. And this word pleasure that James uses is, is the word hedonist, or, or it's from the root hedon. And so we get hedonism from it. It's, it's this idea of, of just a, a, like, a, a, like a, an unquenchable desire. It's an insatiable desire. And it gets us into trouble oftentimes. It becomes our goal in life, self-satisfaction. It ultimately was, the, it was, it was what got Herod in trouble. You remember the story of Herod? Herod, right, he, had the, the, he wanted the pleasures of life, and so um, it wound up costing John the Baptist his head. That's what got Judas in trouble. He loved money. The parable of the sower, the, the, the seed is sown, right? And it, it takes root for a season, but when the pleasures of life choked it out. So, so you see what James is doing here, that he's highlighting that inherent in all of us, is just a selfish nature, a prideful nature, a lack of humility, because we have these desires that go unquenched, and it becomes a problem for us because it's in us naturally. He says, you lust, you murder, you covet. And so our selfish nature winds up driving our selfish behavior. I wonder if we've ever experienced this personally this morning. I wonder if you've ever experienced this personally. That, that, that there's this cycle of selfishness that will exist where, where you, you desire something and, and when it doesn't come to pass or you don't get it, then you begin to look at other people and you begin to evaluate your own life based upon the things that other people have. And then it causes you to desire it all the more. And so you see it. James is saying you desire these things and you don't have them. And so it leads to strife and war amongst you. But, but I, I think... Deep down, at the root of the issue, when, when we don't have things in life, and when we covet, and when we lust, we have these unquenchable desires. I think deep down, underneath it all, is really just a lack of trust in who God is. Is it not? That, that the things that he's given you, the lot that he's given you in life is not enough. And so you, you play it out by having strife with someone else, but as James is going to talk about, he's talking about in chapter one, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. You look in the mirror. How many of you, when you look in the mirror and, and, and you see something you don't like, like you're pretty ugly when you look in the mirror, you blame the mirror. Anybody blame the mirror? Like, like, it's, it's foolishness. And so we, we do this all the time where we're, we, we have strife with other people in our lives and we point to other people and we look at the things they have. And really, at the end of the day, it's an issue in our relationship, in our view of who God is and what he's given us. Are we content in our circumstances? We feel we've been robbed. We feel we've been cheated. We feel like we deserve something. Again, it's a lack of humility. 
And it's a desire for self-satisfaction. And the ironic thing is he's the one who created it all. And so he's obviously the one that knows best. And, and we vocalize this. I don't think anybody would ever overtly say, yeah, I, I think I'm a better God than God is. And yet day in and day out, right, living a life full of pride and, and lacking humility, all it does is highlight that you think that you make a better God than God does. That if I only had this, if I only had this desire that James is talking, I'm lusting and coveting after this, and if I only could obtain it, then my life would be all that I thought it would be. And it's a lack of trust in who God is and the circumstances that he's dealt you. And so I, I wonder, I wrote this question down as I was preparing this week. What would a holy discontentment in God's people look like? A holy discontentment. We're, we're discontent in a lot of things. But what would a holy, humble discontentment look like through the way we act? Because again, we get in his way by acting selfishly all the time. Uh, that I don't have a discontentment for the things of God. I don't have a desire for the things of God. But I, but I have my, my selfish desires, my self-centered desires. I want a bigger house. I want a bigger car. I need more money. Whatever it is, we lust, we covet, we don't have. So we're selfish in the way we act. We're not only selfish in the way we act, we don't, we don't only get in his way by acting selfishly, we get, we get in his way by praying selfishly too. Notice what James says later in chapter four. He says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Well, you stop right there. That's, I think it's probably applicable to some people that you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to take away this morning. Uh, my takeaway for you would just be to start praying because James says you don't, you don't have because you don't ask. And so I, I think we would all agree that to a degree we, we don't ask as often as we should. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. But then he goes on because if he stopped there, then I think it would only just fuel the selfish desires that we have, right? Well, I, I don't have the house because I haven't asked for it. I don't have the car because I haven't asked for it. So I'm going to ask for it. But notice what he says next. He says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures so I think some of us aren't praying at all, and the takeaway for you this morning is just to ask. But, but more than that, I, I think about how often we pray, and this has been a central theme in my life for a while, is just thinking about how often we pray and then taking inventory of the things we pray for. And again, don't, don't hear me wrong this morning in, in thinking that it's wrong to pray for things in your life. I, I think that's a, that's a fair practice. But, but when, I, when I think about prayer, when I think about the way the Lord set up prayer, and we're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer and the way he taught his disciples to pray, praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. So what, what, what am I praying for the Lord to give me? Sustainment, nourishment, give me what I need for today. What am I praying for in the future? Your will to come, or your kingdom to come, your will to be done. And so if you just took inventory of what you're praying for in life, I think sometimes we fit the bill of James chapter four that we pray and we don't have because one, we're not asking or we're asking that we might spend it, how? Selfishly, with our prideful nature. And so I want the things in life so that I can satisfy the desires that I have in life. And so I, th I think what James is doing in chapter four is he's, he's really referring back to chapter one. If you remember chapter one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. 
And so you're, you're seeing the theme really thread together in the book of James, that James isn't on to a new subject here, that oftentimes if we will evaluate the root cause of what's in our life, it's, it's not in the action itself, but it's in the way that we're thinking. And so James, in chapter one, is gonna, out of the gate, say if you lack wisdom, if you lack proper understanding of the way God works and what he's doing in this world and his desires and what he's after, if you lack an understanding of that, then ask, because he's gonna give it to you. And he gives to those who ask in faith without reproach, he gives liberally to those who ask. And so this morning, again, as you think about your prayer life and how often, and I've, I've teased some people before in groups where um, we'll have small group and I'll say, all right, we're gonna take prayer requests now. But here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer a prayer request to the group that's not your cat or your sick uncle's barber or, right? Like, no, what we wanna pray for is what the Lord's heart is after. And so what, what does he want for our lives? What does he want for my situation? What does he want for my circumstance? What does he want me to learn from this? I don't think we pray that way too often. Oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, our prayer life is very much, Lord, give me this. Lord, give me this. And I think the Lord delights to hear from his children. But it reminds me, it reminds me of whenever I was a kid and we, we, would, we were small children and my parents would ask us, they'd say, uh, they had like spaghetti uh, prepared for dinner. And if we didn't like spaghetti, then uh, we didn't eat. <clears throat> but um, they would ask us, they would say, hey, hey, what do you want? What do you want for dinner tonight? Right, like asking us, like trying to include us. And we're like, hey, we want, we want candy. And they're like, no. And uh, we're like, well, why'd you ask, right? Like, what? And they're like, what, what, what do you want for dinner? We're like, uh, peanut butter and jelly. They're like, no. I'm like, okay, this is a cruel game now. They're like, what, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, spaghetti. They're like, good, because we're having spaghetti. And I, I think that's the way sometimes, like, when you think about our prayer life, like, that's, the Lord is like, hey, you're praying for things, and, and what, what I want to do is I, I want to give you, I think this verse sometimes is taken out of context, Psalm 37, 4, right, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think some people just use that as a crutch to say, I'm going to delight myself in God, and then I want the things that I want selfishly. I think what God's saying there through his word is he's saying, delight yourself in me and I will place new desires within your heart that align with the desires of my heart so that we're on the same page, so that whenever we pray, we don't pray and seek selfish gain. What's the Lord after this morning? He, he is having his way. And I think sometimes selfishly, we get in that way, not only through the way we act, but also through the way we pray. And so he really, James is going to expose where this leads us to. Again, before he gets to the solution of how we get out of his way, he's just setting this up, saying, do you see the need to get out of his way? You're a selfish people. We're a prideful people. We have a prideful nature within us. We don't naturally have humility. Verse 4, James says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think he's referencing back to the Old Testament Israel here, adulterers and adulteresses, that Old Testament Israel was created to be a nation, to take the gospel to the nations, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a light to the nations, and they so often rebelled against the Lord and sought the gods of the nations. And so we do the same, even as believers in Christ Jesus. We're like, man, I, I want to follow you, Lord. I love you, Lord. 
I desire the things of your heart. Lord, give me X, Y, and Z. Lord, get me out of this circumstance and this situation. Instead of humbling ourselves, taking a step back and saying, Lord, I want what you want. And I trust and believe that the circumstance and the lot that I've been dealt in life is what's best for me. And so I'm gonna trust and believe in the plans that you have for me. James says friendship with the world, friendship with the way the world thinks is enmity with God. You can't have one foot in both camps. I think we're lukewarm at times in our Christian life. I like the things of the world, but I like the blessing of God. And so if I could have my cake and eat it too, then my life would be great. That's not what James says. It's just friendship with the world. You're at odds. You're at enmity with God. If you look back in chapter 2, verse 24, James in referencing Abraham here. It's actually verse 23. He says, And it was accounted for him righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. He's talking about Abraham. It says, Abraham was called the friend of God. If you remember, if you've been around church for a while, you know the story of Abraham and Lot. Right? You, you see the, the picture here of friendship with the world, enmity with God. This is just an Old Testament reference. And so this is, again, this speaks to the validity of Scripture. If you ever questioned it, just the, the fact that James is writing and he understands the Old Testament, the inerrant word of God, it, it will blow your mind. But what he's doing here is he's saying, right, Abraham, Lot goes with Abraham, and then Lot sees the pleasures of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he turns from Abraham and he leaves him. And he goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Where did, where did that lead him, by the way? What, what happened next in the story after Lot goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah? There's a war that takes place. Is there not? <clears throat> and so you see it playing itself out. James is saying friendship with the world. You, you, you want to be a friend of the world? You're going to be an enemy of God. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which again, remember, James is writing to followers of Jesus Christ. You're a professing believer this morning and you're gonna claim friendship with the world. It's gonna cause enmity and strife and division and wars amongst you. That's where it leads. So this morning, are you willing to get out of his way? We act selfishly. <clears throat> we pray selfishly. Here's the solution. Here's, here's how I think we practically get out of his way. Look at verse seven <clears throat> in chapter four. James says, therefore submit to God. Listen to this language. It says, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament. He, he's talking to believers here. Okay, this is language that we don't use oftentimes into the church. Lament, verse nine, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Just a few practical ways I think we can get out of his way this morning. You can submit to God. That, that idea is foreign in our culture. We hate the idea of submission, do we? Not to anyone, to any authority. You can submit and surrender to him this morning. And then re resist the devil. I think some people are trying to resist the devil without submitting to God. Uh, that's a battle you'll lose 10 times out of 10. If you'll submit to him, Humble yourself, submit to him, resist the devil. And then notice what he says. He says, draw near to God. There's a difference between submitting and drawing near. 
You can submit to him and not draw near to him. I don't like close intimacy with the Lord. But I, but, but I do have a reverence for him. I guess I will follow your rules and I will do what you say, but I really don't want to hear from you. I don't want to follow you closely. And James says that ought, ought not to be the case. So submit to him, resist the devil, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He says, lament, mourn, weep, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourself. Like the language here is you need to recognize where you're at and the lack of humility that you have, and you need to be remorseful over that. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Sometimes the path to joy is through the pathway of gloom. I think we get that confused. Our theme for the year is joy. And I want you to have joy in your life, but I don't want you to have the sacrificial joy that doesn't come through the pathway that's paved with understanding who I am and my natural tendency and then relishing who he is and what he's done for me. That'll lead you to joy. And so would you do that this morning? Would you recognize the need to get out of his way? How do you do that? Humble yourself, submit to him. Follow his ways, listen to him, draw near to him, spend time with him, humble yourself, or he'll humble you for you, I promise. Get out of his way. <clears throat> I think quickly, I think the other thing we can do this morning is get into his will. This is down in verse 13 of chapter 4. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. He says, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanish away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And so again, I think it's both and this morning. I think it's vital for us in light of what James talks about, the prideful nature that exists naturally within us to recognize that, to surrender that, to submit to God and get out of his way. But, but not just say, Lord, okay, I, I don't want to be a part, but to say, Lord, no, I, I want to be used. And so I am going to humble myself, but I'm going to step into the will that you have for me. See, these people in James were thinking that they had a guarantee of going to the city and making a profit, and uh, that was kind of the way that their world worked, right? We've talked about it, that if I serve God, he's going to bless me, and so I'm following the law, so I have assurance that I can go to this town and he's going to financially bless me. And I think it rocks some people's worlds sometimes to know that even the most faithful isn't guaranteed tomorrow. And so what we ought to say in light of that is, Lord, if you will it to come to pass, if you will it to be done. And so how do we get into his will? Well, I, I think he concludes chapter four in a fitting way. This is verse 17. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. How do you get into his will this morning? I, I don't have a profound answer for you, but I have a simple statement for you. Obey. Just take a step of obedience this morning. I think we make his will out to be some like ethereal, mystical, crazy thing, and I'm, I'm not sure what it is, and I, I think if I step out of it that I can never get back into it. And so we, just, we spend our whole lives wondering, like, what's the will of God for my life? I don't know what his will is. I'll probably never know what his will is. And so I'm just gonna continually ask this question. Lord, I don't know what your will is. Your, your will be done, though. 
And this morning, I'm sure he's prompting you in some way, shape, or form to take a step of obedience. To him who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it. There's some good you know you ought to do. There's some obeying that you know you ought to do. For you not to do it, I think you take a step out of his will for your life. Now, that's not a condemnation, because at any given moment, you can, you, you can say yes, you, you can obey what he's called you to do. But I wonder what that is for you this morning. Because the truth is that it, it really doesn't matter how curious you are or how cautious you are about his will. Like, he will reveal his will to those who are willing to obey. But listen to me, to be willing to obey takes what? Humility. Is it not like you've got to resist this prideful nature that's within us? It's my will, it's my way. So, so Lord, sure, I'll humble myself and, and I get it, like I have prideful tendencies, but at the end of the day, I'm still gonna go do what I wanna do and have fun in the areas I wanna have fun. And instead, I just, again, I wonder if the people of God had a holy discontentment for the things of God and said yes to the things that he's asking us to do, what he could do if we stepped out of his way and stepped into his will this morning. What step of obedience are you willing to take this morning? I'm gonna invite the team back up this morning. Because not, not only does he want you to know his will and understand his will, and Romans 12, two says we're to prove his will, we're to prove it by experience too. So again, if you're wondering this morning, I don't know what that means, again, Simple step of obedience this morning. And then as you obey, right, it, it reminds me of, um, I, I tried to play guitar several years ago, and that's why I'm thankful for people who play guitar and have that talent and skill, because I learned four chords, and then I just stopped. And, and I never advanced, and, and then it would be foolishness for me to think about it and say, well, why am I not a better guitar player? Well, the answer is simple, right? I haven't spent time doing it. And so it's like any muscle, the, the will of God, as you say yes and you obey what he's called you to do, oh, that's what that feels like. Ah, oh, I've got it. Yes, Lord. And I saw the outcome. Yes, Lord. And I saw the outcome. And so you begin to be trained. You begin to prove his will. And so I wonder what that is for you this morning. Maybe it's, maybe it's membership. Maybe you've You've, you've been curious about membership for a while and, and you don't see the importance of it or, or you don't think it's, it's biblical. I would just challenge the first step of obedience, come talk to somebody. And let's work through the scriptures together and what the Lord has to say about his local church. Maybe that's the step of obedience you need to take this morning. Or maybe it's Fall Fest. Maybe it's getting involved in a ministry here and using the talents and the gifts that he's given you. Again, our strategy is to help people get involved. That's the eye of MRI. But you gotta be willing to obey. We can't force you to do anything. You gotta be willing to take a step of obedience this morning. Or maybe it's giving. Maybe, maybe you've, you've always felt scared about giving to the church because you think we're, we're stealing your money or we you know, uh, have, like, have selfish gains. I promise you, you can look at, look at my car in the parking lot. I don't, I don't have any ill will or I'm not, I don't wanna use the finances here to you know, uh, have a nice car. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with the beater that I have but we wanna advance the kingdom of God. We wanna step into his will. And so maybe that's the step of obedience for you this morning is you just step out in financial obedience and say, Lord, I'm gonna to give to the advancement of your kingdom. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, it's going to take a level of humility. 
And it's gonna take you humbling yourself, recognizing the prideful nature that's naturally within you, mourning, weeping, letting your joy be turned to gloom, but then relishing in what he's done for each and every one of us. I'll leave you with this. I, I took a step of obedience several years ago. I had a, many of you know, I mean, that's the reason I'm here, but I had a corporate job and was working at Geico and I was making good money and I, you know, I had my whole life ahead of me and um, I just didn't feel a level of contentment, a level of satisfaction spiritually. Materialistically, I did. And so what that did, it just fueled the prideful nature that was, was within me. And so what did it take? Well, it took a level of humility to say, Lord, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know my security. I don't know. I, I trust you're going to provide. But maybe he was going to provide by sending me to a third world country. I got to know. And so what I did, I just took a step of obedience. I said, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. And he's done more than provided. He's cared for, he's nurtured. And I feel like I stepped into his will by taking a step of obedience. And so again, this morning, our vision here at Choice Baptist Church is to see lives impacted for the sake of God's glory. We want to advance the kingdom of God. And we want to impact lives for his glory. But that will only happen individually and collectively if we get out of his way and if we get into as well. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for your word, Lord, that it speaks each and every week and it's relevant to our lives. And Lord, I pray you'd use this text this morning to change us and shape us and break us, Lord, where we need to be broken. And um, Father, would you humble us? Would you keep us in tune with who you are and, and the things that you're doing? And I pray that we would step into your will this morning by taking a step of obedience, whatever that is. Would you reveal it to us? Lord, I pray we would get out of your way. Lord, rid us of the prideful nature that causes strife and division amongst us, even amongst our church. Lord, I pray we'd be a humble people. We'd seek after your will. And that would be our prayer. Your kingdom come and your will be done. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.